Well, I'm going to invite you to come on back with your beverages and take your seats as we continue with our time uh, together this morning. And uh, I want to introduce you to someone who's a friend of Jericho Ridge and a friend of mine, and that's Greg. Uh, Greg's been with us at Jericho before, back when we were meeting together at the Langley Event Center. Uh, Greg works with one of our partners, Multiply, and Multiply is, is us. Multiply is a group, our family of churches, that works together to uh, plant churches both here in North America and internationally as well. And so I've known Greg as a pastor, uh, as a coach for church planters, as a wonderful friend and prayer partner, uh, and it's a delight to have him here with us uh, sharing together. And so uh, Greg is going to uh, open God's Word to us this morning as we continue in our series in the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to have uh, Allie begin by reading that for us, and the words will be behind you up on the screen. Okay, I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 1 to 13. One day, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of, of hand-washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands, as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God. Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say, it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Greg, let me pray for you as you open God's word to us this morning. Jesus, we are grateful that you are here amongst us. Spirit of God, open our hearts and our ears. We want to be willing and obedient listeners. We ask that we would not be among those who just hear, but we would be those who... Brad, for the warm welcome and for your friendship, and good morning, church. And happy anniversary, I, should, I guess I should have brought some flowers or something to pass around. It's very exciting to see this place starting to really take shape, the paint's on, the carpet's going in, pieces are coming together, very exciting times. Wanting to, uh, first of all, bring greetings from my home team, my wife Andrea, my kids Parker and Alicia, they're at Christ City Church right now, 
probably exactly right now, in Vancouver, our home church, and also uh, greetings from Randy Friesen, our general director, who would give you his heartfelt welcome, and uh, we're just so grateful for the partnership in the gospel with your church. I want to say a couple quick things about Multiply, and then we'll uh, dive into the text. Um, real privilege to uh, track with the life of Christ. Who is Jesus? But just a couple quick things if you're uh, wondering uh, what's latest or what's new with this team Multiply, including a new name. So first of all, we have the same heart. And we haven't changed that much. We have the same heart, which is being expressed in a different strategy. Back in the, uh, the former times, there was this uh, uh, probably a little bit of a slogan that people kind of came up with of from the West to the rest, you know, like very West-O-centric bringing the gospel to the rest of the world. Yeah, and that actually was uh, factually true for our agency with the geographical kind of uh, bearings that we ha had come from. But these days what God is doing is bringing people from everywhere to everywhere. So we're moving from that, uh, that dualism of home mission versus foreign mission, instead seeing how there's the local and the national and the global move of God. This is the missiology of Jesus. I I've said to, um, to various groups of people, uh, you know, let's, let's be really clear about Jesus. Yes, he is our glorious Savior. Is there an amen? Yeah, come on. <laughs> glorious Savior is Jesus. You know, he's a really good missiologist. The Holy Spirit is moving people and opening our hearts to receive people in different ways. We still send people. Uh, this last week, I had the privilege of sitting with six candidates who were presenting themselves as candidates to be sent as workers. It's interesting, uh, a couple of them are standing to be sent to work with First Nations in Canada. Because this is an extremely unreached people group, very local to most Canadians. And uh, that's, that's why we're wanting to have the same heart, heart for the lost, heart for the unreached, but how we go about it needs to be nuanced within our times. The other big change, of course, is the name. It used to be MB Mission, and as has been pointed out uh, before that, uh, we had many other names in the last hundred and something years, so it's just the, the latest name, but it is, again, the same heart, but a different name, more discreet, because most of the places we're sending people overseas are what's called restricted access nations, where it's becoming increasingly difficult to go in as a, quote, missionary. So, in fact, uh, you have to be uh, very careful, and, uh, and not just for you, but for the people with whom you would be working, as the polit political situations are uh, very tight and increasingly so in many nations. So um, when you, the employer is a mission, it kind of sets up your workers to be in a tight spot. <laughs> so uh, we'd rather uh, change the name uh, and to be more discreet, but um, also more descriptive of the outcomes. We actually do want to see, this is God's first um, commandment to creation is to be fruitful and multiply, and we see this as uh, our call to discipleship, that everyone everywhere would be multiplying themselves as a disciple maker, churches multiplying themselves, and partnerships multiplying for the glory of God. So that's enough about us, and uh, wanting to now um, have a good look in our text in Mark chapter 7. So this, um, this passage really fits this time that we're in. If we go to the first slide here, the, there's this incredible clarion call right now to what? Wash your hands. Like, little did you know that coming to church could be so practical. 
Friends, wash your hands, wash your hands often, and not just like a little quick one, like, you know, a good, like, count, like, I think it's 20 seconds is, is a thorough cleansing. People are nodding, approving. But this is, um, this is not at all what the idea of cleansing oneself is about in Mark chapter 7. Again, yes, please, wash your hands. But in Mark chapter 7, it's about being clean, but differently. So we're going to approach the text today by asking some foundational questions about what was happening at the time. Like, it is so important to step back into the times, to look around at the text before we look ahead at application. So in real places like Langley, what does it look like on the Langley-Surrey border? Are we technically in Surrey? I never know. We're in Surrey here, right? Like, Langley's across the street if I... So close. In real places like Surrey, what does it look like for a person and for a family of a church to look like Jesus. So if you've followed along in the Gospel of Mark, reading carefully chapter by chapter, and there's a lot of, and then, immediately, depending on your translation, like Mark is the, like, the action hero Jesus Gospel. It is, uh, it's easy to keep reading because it just keeps compelling you along there. As we have a look in these last few chapters, uh, Jesus has been confronted by the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes earlier on, and then there's been some chapters of, uh, of text, of breakthrough stories. But the last time the Pharisees showed up in, in earlier on in Mark, they were checking out this new rabbi. The Jesus was raising eyebrows in, in their sense in the worst sort of way, breaking social taboos, eating with the wrong kinds of people and not honoring the Sabbath. So uh, the Pharisees and their scribes enter back in here in chapter 7 and with a vengeance. Like, they, like the, the, uh, the way the scripture is written, it literally gives that sense of they're coming from Jerusalem and they're hemming him in. Like it, it is increasingly close and warm around Jesus in the sense of the scrutiny of who is Jesus. So in uh, verse 1 in chapter 7, they're coming down from Jerusalem, and they're earnest to discover what is going on, and who is this person, and what authority? This is the question again, and again, and again, and again. But what authority is all of this stuff happening? So a quick sidebar to remind ourselves about the Pharisees and, and why this matters. One of the commentators, William, Lee, uh, William Lane, sorry, he says, Pharisees and scribes distinguish themselves by zeal for observing the law. They're deeply devoted to the law and strictly grounded their life teaching the Pharisees and their scribes. They had this down, and they were mortified that Jesus could be such a lousy rabbi. He's piling up crimes and misdemeanors everywhere he's going. Like, wait for it. He's touching an unclean person, someone with leprosy. Like, this is like, hello, what are you doing? Like, not just it's infectious, but literally unclean. Jesus touches that person, why? So that they would be healed. Physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually healed, but certainly including physical, and they were, which is astonishingly wonderful. But for these ones keeping their categories, Jesus was impeding their clear piety their categorical right and wrong 
way of looking at life. Who is Jesus? Well, back to the action here, and I'll give you a quick recap of the verses just read. So the Pharisees are astonished to observe that Jesus' disciples do not wash their hands before eating their bread. So they point this out to Jesus. In other words, like again, what sort of a rabbi are you? Look at your disciples. They're not very disciplined. Well, here's a handy summary for the readers for, who are not from the Jewish background. This helps us understand that Mark has an audience for people, including those not from Jewish backgrounds, which might include most of us here. So uh, there's a little sketch about uh, the whole idea of ceremonial cleansing in the pots and the pans and the, the cutlery and such, the cups. And they press Jesus literally, why are they not walking in the tradition of the elders, but they eat their bread with unclean hands? Full stop. And Jesus masterfully answers them. So there's something going on here that's both ancient and contemporary. So let's look at the interaction of Jesus with these religious leaders. In verses 6 and 7, Jesus reaches to the prophet Isaiah and turns the table on them. And he calls them hypocrites. And we need to remind ourselves what that word really means, which is someone who's an actor, someone who's playing a role, playing a part, being correct. And he levels the bold challenge that they're more interested in following the traditions of people rather than the commands of God. This is very spicy preaching here. So we're talking here about ceremonial cleansing, not scrubbing under your fingernails. Like, like this, is, this is a contemporary picture. Now, I, I do admit that they've got way better hats than I'm given to wear. But um, this, is, uh, this is something that remains to be an issue spiritually and actually. What are we talking about here? Well, ceremony. Talking about ceremony, talking about traditions. Ceremony is not necessarily evil or wrong. It seems that, um, you know, as I look around, each generation seems to be wanting to throw off the traditions, right? Especially here on the left coast. Throw off all the things that Toronto tells us we're supposed to do. (laughs) Throw it off, be free. Ceremony is not necessarily wrong. In fact, speaking of someone who's uh, extremely interested in cross-cultural work, the team's going to Guatemala. Be really important to know some of the cultural nuances so when you go to Guatemala, you're, you're actually a good guest. And this is being a civil person, a gracious person. You know, just imagine if you're going to go to Japan and um, you're going to really pay attention to something called the tea ceremony, the gracious, wonderful, ancient tea ceremony. There's also, I just was debriefing with a couple who just spent a year in Osaka, and they said there was all kinds of tea ceremonies, like fancy ones, simple ones. I was like, man, this is so interesting. But the culture still has a certain access point or a reference point around the ceremony of tea. It's interesting if you uh, go to England, as much as, uh, you know, there's lots of chatter about the monarchy these days, a lot of people would put the changing of the guard at Buckingham Palace on their itinerary. Because why? It's so majestic. You know, those marching people with their, hey, more hats, right? <laughs> what is it with the hats? In Canada, we have a few ceremonies, like we take off our hat during the, what, national anthem before they drop the puck? And there's the, uh, the uh, national tradition of lining up at the break of dawn at the drive-thru in front of Tim Hortons, right? <laughs> Things that bind us together. Well, as you cross cultures, 
And especially as you welcome in neighbors, like around here, uh, there would be a, a high degree of likelihood new neighbors would be coming from places like China, places like India. You know, it's just really important to know how to be a good host or a good guest. And just one simple thing that will probably help you just right off the bat, uh, take off your shoes when you go into someone's house. If that's not your habit, just a little free, uh, little free tidbit there. Be a good guest. See, here's the problem. Too often, ceremony or tradition can crowd out the main issues of our Christian faith. There's a big difference between tradition and traditionalism, or the, uh, the worship of tradition. Have you ever seen Fiddler on the Roof? Tevia. Tradition! I like your sound system, actually. That was good. <laughs> and as you've watched that movie, as you go... Daughter by daughter, it gets closer, and cl- like, by the end, he's like, I just can't. Oh, it's so hard to watch someone whose whole life is founded and framed with tradition to have piece by piece by piece knocked out of the way to start wondering, like, who am I without my traditions? So what is the correct role of ceremony or tradition in a church like yours? Where's the line between this living faith and this lifeless institutionalism that just seems to be camping at the door to steal our joy? And how do you actually decide what is and what isn't? See, we can pick different topics. Like back in the day, uh, you know, I'm a drummer. I'm admiring this nice drum kit, actually. That's going to ask what... Uh, good, good, good symbols there. Good sound. See, back in the day, when I grew up in the church... Uh, I was, uh, confession time, I was the teenager in the youth group that brought the drum set into the sanctuary for the first time. Like, <laughs> and I, I, think I, I think I played like, like I was like, <laughs> I, everyone's staring at me like, <laughs> Sunday, uh, Sunday night, not Sunday morning, Sunday night, now, these days, it's, you know, like I visit different churches, and people are still wondering, like, can you bring a coffee into the service? Um, you guys, well, you, you serve the coffee, in the, <laughs> like, but then the next question is, but what kind of coffee? You know, like, we can never end with these sort of categories of what is and what isn't going in the right direction. Just think about uh, the Lord's ordinances of his table, fellowship, uh, baptism, like, how do you do this? in a way that is, is you. You know, just when you think you've heard everything about baptism, and there's lots of good questions. Like, these are discipleship questions. Who baptizes who? Who's, a, who's permitted to be baptized? These are discipleship questions. But one of the things that um, uh, I've just continued to be amazed is I keep learning about new things. Like, I, I was visiting with a pastor a couple weeks ago. He told me about in, where he lives... Uh, there's some churches that do a triple-dip baptism. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Spirit. I'm like, like, is that wrong? Is that right? Is that like, boy, you're really wet. Like, <laughs> or maybe some people hold them down for a count of three in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son. <laughs> so you're really, really baptized. Sprinkling, is that actually wrong? Like, these are good discipleship questions that can end up taking us 
into areas that we can miss the point. See, the church I was raised in was uh, proudly not liturgical, like any sort of this liturgical stuff, if you know what that means, of the, uh, the format, the formal thing with the responsive reading. Ooh, that's probably getting a little, a little bit liturgical. But I'll tell you, like every Sunday, the order of service was exactly the same. Like exact, I mean exactly the same. Like if anything would have happened differently, someone might have, I don't know what. Oh, traditionalism, Lord have mercy. We could go on all day long about examples of missing the point, dying on the wrong hill, and ironically, we too, if we kept going here, could miss the point. So we'll get back to our text. It seems to me that the Pharisees, by measuring Jesus, were themselves being measured and found wanting. Another commentator, David Garland, emphasizes in this time period, the Pharisees, in confronting Jesus publicly, were trying to shame him in a culture where the good reputation of the rabbi was all that really mattered in the sense of what things look like and how things are being said. Verses 8 to 13, Jesus steps even closer and plainly accuses them of using their traditions to dishonor their parents. So yes, honoring the father and mother is actually one of the Ten Commandments. However, if under the gun, or without thinking, a person made a vow about their goods or property, which effectively put it out of reach by dedicating it to the temple, it's called, in the original text, Corbin. So we just want to drop from the, uh, into a, a, a different translation. You guys use NLT, which is very clear and very contemporary. We'll go to NASB for a minute, which just kind of nuances a little bit about what's happening here. But as you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corbin. That is to say, given to God. Corbin is a, uh, a Hebrew, an Aramaic, ter- Aramaic term that's not translated because everyone at that time knew what that meant. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down and do many things such as that. So this is a for example moment here. For example, like the traditions are apparently at a hand. And one's own parents can end up being in a tight spot unnecessarily. See, at that time, in fact, like most of the world today, um, Families have to take care of each other. There's no such thing as a social safety net. So uh, if parents were in need, the children are expected to step up and help. However, if a vow was made for goods or property, being given as Corbin or being given to God or to the temple, then the tradition that ruled the day would have made the parents have to go without. Like, again, what's the commandment? Is honor your father and mother. And then you could work it, like you could actually work it around. Or you could be caught in a misstep, like, in a, in, like you just weren't thinking what you said, and you made this vow, and it's like, you're handcuffed, man. You're done. You cannot claw back. You cannot invalidate your vow. Tradition. So Jesus is really, really in their kitchen here with this, um, with this teaching. Now, of course, in these days, there's many ways we can... See the speck? We can strain at the speck, you know, this text, and potentially in other people's eyes and miss the logs in our own. 
So here's an example, uh, especially relevant as you're setting up your new house here. I was once asked to consult with a church back in Vancouver that was uh, a little bit in, uh, in danger of, actually a lot in danger of closing down. Things were not going well. Uh, they were lacking new people. They were especially lacking young families. And as people were aging, the, the viability of the church was actually in question. So they asked me to come in and evaluate things. And it didn't take me long to quickly understand what's happening. As I walked into the sanctuary to my first time in the building, walked into the meeting room, and someone was carefully cleaning. And they turned and gave me that look as I'm walking in, like probably talking too loudly. Again, it's midweek, nobody's there. The look that I got was, don't make a mess. Oh, it was so palpable. And immediately I had this picture of some young family coming in, you know, just a little bit late, uh, go mugs in hand, kids pulling at each other, you know, trying to find a seat. And I could just immediately get that sense of the cool welcome, the cold, frosty welcome that some might be giving them of like a little bit late over there. Um, oh, coffee? Seriously? Oh, kids making such a mess. So here's the sober moment for that church is the, and I, I you know, checked in with the pastor. It's like, actually, yeah, we're onto something there. The spotless room had become more important than the presence of children. It's got to let that settle in your heart, eh? Yeah. What in the world are we doing? Let's not miss this point that the mission of Jesus was to seek and to save the lost. I mean, every Sunday is Mission Sunday, right? Every Sunday is a reminder of the call upon the church to, do, to be on mission for Christ. I like that one. And let's be clear about what it means to be lost. Like, here's my keys. Oh, I lost my keys. Oh, I found my keys. See, this is not what Jesus is talking about. That's lost as in misplaced. Lost in the text actually means perishing, in harm's way. And that's a sober word to remind us of the condition of the world around us without Christ. His commission is to go and make disciples. As you're going, make the disciples. His command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, your whole being. And love your neighbors yourself. Friends, as I look out the windows today, like there are a lot of new neighbors around here. And that's why you're here. And herein lies the warning. Those who are found, those who can become family members within local churches like yours can unwittingly become distracted in matters of how to be religious, how to be clean or competitive about who's the most religious and then become ironically self religious, and we lose the priority of the mission of God. This is tragically more normal than not across our land. Lord, have mercy. Oh, Jericho Ridge, how my heart yearns for you as a church family to be every bit as renovated in the Lord as this building is being tuned up. What good would it be to renovate the plumbing and put to new carpeting, 
and miss the chance to have your hearts renovated? What good would it be? Dear church, let's not miss the point that Jesus is bringing here. Otherwise, it could be like polishing those ceremonial cups. Looking good on the outside, but not really clean. As we close our time, it's important to now look with some application about how to live in the right sense of being righteous so that we're primarily on mission with Jesus, not heading into either the ditch of legalism or of permissiveness. Those those two ditches on either side of the, the way of holiness. Legalism, permissiveness. Let's walk on the path. Here are three admonishments as we close, especially as you move into this new house. I urge, I urge you to, first of all, attend to your heart, then to the moment that you're in, and lastly, the peace of the household of God. So first, I urge you, my dear friends, to attend to your heart. Now, while legalism may be the wrong way forward, personal purity still matters to God. But these are really big discipleship questions. What does it mean to live as a righteous person, as a clean person, but not a Pharisee, not an actor, or into the other ditch of saying, hey, it's all good, grace, grace, grace. So before turning to look at how other people are doing, look in the mirror at your own heart and invite the Holy Spirit to have his way to examine and to prune your life. Are you willing to be humbled to confess where you've been compromised, where you've become maybe judgmental, maybe ungracious, maybe a bit salty, maybe a bit looking down the nose? Or are you flirting on the edge, playing with fire? You know, like there's that old question of like, how much, whatever it is, fill in the blank, can I get away with and still be okay? These questions of clean, unclean, righteous, unrighteous are discipleship questions today. As you sit here today, are you willing to allow your heart to be freshly broken for the lost? Seems to me the point of this new facility is to be able to welcome in more neighbors. And the more that your heart is aligned with the will and the way of God, you will make room to receive more people into his kingdom for his glory. Secondly, attend to the moment that you're in. Attend to your heart. Attend to this moment. This, this is a very important season for your church. This is the beginning of the whole next new chapter. As you sit here today, see, I don't assume that everyone here has necessarily decided to follow Jesus with their whole heart. You may be here for lots of reasons. You might have been dragged here. <laughs> but there's a moment here not to miss. Are you feeling unclean? Are you feeling unacceptable to God? Jesus calls you to himself. He has come to rescue the lost, the perishing, like right now. Jesus calls you to himself to be rescued first and restored. We can't clean ourselves up to make ourselves look good in, or, in order to be worthy. The good news of the gospel is Jesus paid the price. It's finished. And he then comes to rescue you and to make you into a rescuer of others. Ah, oh, the good news is so good. Let today be the day of salvation, my friends. 
please don't leave this place without having confidence in Christ. That'd be the best news that we could ever celebrate today. As you go from here, I'm assuming no one lives here, um, as you do go from here, are you willing to allow Jesus to be the Lord of your life, not just your Savior, like your, your goings, your comings? Are you attending to his voice? Are you willing to be interrupted with his call to be on mission? Doing a quick time check here. I, I, I don't want to be one of those guest speakers that goes on and on, thinking, well, if they never invite me back, I left it all on the field. <laughs> We're tracking. But permit me a small moment to talk about what does this mean to live on mission? The mission of interruptions. Now, as Brad mentioned earlier, I, in my former season of life, I was a pastor in Vancouver, 17 years in the same church, by God's grace, watching it grow and develop and some church planting and some sending people to the ends of the earth. Like, wow, what a great, great, great privilege to be along for the ride with what God does within us. Uh, I didn't understand this whole thing about the ministry of interruption. You see, I, like, like, for example, I could have time set aside to be making a sermon, you know, for the church. And then there's that call, like, you know, someone's having this issue, and pastor, like, you need to go and help them. And I'm like, no, like, don't you understand? Like, you're interrupting me from getting my sermon together. So you can take that metaphor, and, and there are times to say, okay, is someone, you know, are they bleeding out? Are they, you know, <laughs> metaphorically speaking, um, like, could they wait an hour? You know, like, sometimes it is right now. Sometimes it's actually not right now, but soon. Discernment, right? But here's the thing. When your neighbor turns to you, who, your neighbor who you've been praying for, your neighbor who does not know Christ, and you know that because you've had a few chats, and you're burdened for them, and you're heading out to... Maybe it's a church. <laughs> and they come out to say, do you know, I've, been, I've just been wondering since that last time we talked, like I just, I can hardly sleep. Like what is this whole thing about Jesus? Who is Jesus? Sermon series. And you're like, uh, oh, shoot, do I have Pastor Brad's business card to give them? Because like he's a professional. No, everyone needs to be ready to be interrupted to give the reason for your faith. Like today, have the awareness of being ready for gospel conversations. I just thought it was so delightful. Uh, like a couple weeks ago, I, I, I just happened to be going into a store on the way to where I was going, and I had an armful of commentaries on Mark, preparing for today. And I, I set my commentaries down. You can tell my age I'm not doing digital commentaries. So re real ones. Real books, they're beautiful, they feel good, you can like hold them and stuff, it's amazing. Books, don't forget about them. And the clerk at the store looked at the stack of books all with the same name, Mark, 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 you know. <laughs> and he was so curious. And the, like there was no other customers around and we had just like that, like I wasn't coming, I'm, uh, I was not dropping an armful of commentaries to, you know, like. <laughs> I, I literally was going to ask a question about one of their products, and he was curious, what are all those books? All with the same name. We had, just like that, a gospel conversation. Brief, to the point, but I'm like, because we're ready to be interrupted. Because why are we here? 
So this is the whole idea of are you listening to the voice of God as you're going through your business, through your life? In the lineup, as you turn and, and realize that there's a moment, like right now, attend to the moment that you're in. My dear friends, the more your heart is aligned with the will and the way of God, the more you will find opportunities and joy to share the reason that you have. Finally, attend to the peace of the household of God. This is a word to the community, Jericho Ridge, to the people of Jericho Ridge, as you prepare to move in and enjoy this new facility. I urge you to be freshly resolved to live clean with one another. Oh, please hear this word. Seek to pursue the peace of Christ within this beautiful new home. Make it your business not to gossip, not to be passive aggressive. That's a very Canadian thing to do, by the way. Be committed to what? Speak the truth in love. Honor one another in how you live within community. Don't, live, uh, don't use your liberty to cause someone else to stumble. As you move into here, are you willing to make sure you don't bring in any of the old sacred cows? Traditionalism. This is a fresh start in, in many ways. It's a new chapter. Be committed to establish the most welcoming environment possible. David Garland commentating on this passage, he said, Jesus is like those who want to run a church for those who do not yet attend. Like, oh, good word. How do we include people into the family rather than exclude them? This is your opportunity. The more your collective heart is aligned to the will and the way of God, please do not be unaware of the evil one the father of lies who will do everything possible to challenge your progress of peacemaking within this church. You are not unopposed. I know you know that, but I just want to remind you, you need to be for each other. You need to be with each other and for each other as the Lord is with you and for you. This is a community word. As much as it's possible in Jesus' name, maintain a spiritually clean house a house of prayer, a house for the nations. Well, I'd like to close today with uh, one of the best stories I've ever heard from our minister team about the way the gospel can transform a life to make someone clean. Listen carefully as I talk about this dangerous man who is confronted by the love of God. It is good to be with you, Pastor Elmer noted. I thank God I'm able to be with Christians and have no desire to kidnap or kill you. <laughs> wouldn't you, if you're meeting him, wouldn't you be like, what? <laughs> this is one of our writers who, who met him. It's so well captured here. As an ex-commander of one of the fronts of the Colombian armed rebels, remember the FARC who were recently uh, disarmed and came to the peace table? This is one of their leaders. Pastor Elmer's words were only half-joking. By the age of 13, he tells a story. I joined the communist rebels. I was ready to kill for the Marxist cause, especially Christians. And so Christian churches were burned down. Pastors were shot. I went to each of seven churches in my area, he describes, and I took their buildings for our revolutionary meetings. I forced them all to leave. They had no choice. They all feared me, all but one. The one pastor continued to persuade armed rebels to follow Jesus. 
this guy decided this had to be stopped. He decided he was going to personally execute the pastor. He goes in and he confronts the pastor with the gun, and the pastor remained calm in the face of the man's quiet, compassionate demeanor. Elmer snapped. You and your prayers, he shouted. I see you praying for the soldiers in our army. I see you praying for the country. I see you praying. How? Well, the pastor replied, if you don't believe in God, what does it matter to you if I pray? Oh, that's a good one, eh? The pastor continued, yes, I pray for soldiers. I pray for the gangs. I pray for drug dealers. I pray for the paramilitary. I pray for you. Deeply shaken, Elmer left the pastor alive and returned to his rebel base. Well, a few months later, Elmer and his troops had found themselves in need of such prayers. He found himself surrounded under attack. With bullets flying, he fled down a mountain path at night, and he almost collided with a member of this church that he was unable to shut down. Terrified, he turned and ran the other direction. And to his horror, that Christian started chasing after him. Elmer was sure this man was going to kill him. Stop, the man cried out, stop. God loves you, I want to save you. But Elmer kept running. And he found a crevice in a rock and dove in and he hid and he crouched in the mud to wait until morning. A violent storm broke out and he could hear the army closing in, knowing what might happen to him if he were captured. He decided that suicide was the only way out. Holding his gun to his head, he tried to collect the courage to convince himself to pull the trigger and he heard a voice. Do not do this thing. Was it the thunder of the storm? Was it a hallucination? Three times he raised the gun to his head. Three times the words rang out to him to stop. He dropped to his knees. And he asked God to rescue him. And get this. I felt a caress, he said. A hand wiping my face, wiping away the mud. Choking back tears, he struggled to continue with his story. Oh God, he prayed, I feel so dirty. And you didn't even use a glove. You touched my filth with your bare hand. Oh, praise Jesus. Elmer went down from the mountain that morning and surrendered. He, he said, I put myself in God's hands and God showed mercy. Despite a bounty of 200 million pesos on his head and 16 charges against him, he was released by the authorities. Now, Elmer tells us, I'm like that pastor that defied me. Elmer preaches the gospel of peace and reconciliation in the mountains, in the prisons, to drug traffickers, to rebels, to ex-combatants, including his own son. I'd like to invite the worship team to come up as we turn to respond. My dear friends, what about your heart? My dear friends, what about this moment that you're in? What about the state of this community as a church? I invite you to 
stand and respond as we're led in song. Uh, there's prayer stations at the back if you, if you feel uh, personally and specifically nudged to want to get something clean. This is where you can turn and repent. Your prayer will be heard by the Lord and by friends who want to lead you to be released, restored. The presence of the Holy Spirit is here to do this good work. Will you attend to him?